Thank you for listening to Radio Never Apart. I'm your host, Jordan King. Welcome back, returning listeners. And if you're listening for the first time, welcome and thank you for tuning in. Radio Never Apart is an interview feature started at the beginning of 2020, which launches monthly as part of the Never Apart online magazine and has featured some incredible people in various aspects of nightlife and nightlife culture across North America. In this episode, I'm speaking with Toronto-based producer and DJ Cosmic Cat. Cosmic Cat was born in Canada, but has a very impressive intercontinental upbringing. She spent time in Philadelphia, New York in the late 90s into the early 2000s before returning to Toronto in the mid-2000s. Listen to her incredible story and hear how she did not even skip a beat despite the many challenges 2020 threw at everyone in the music and event industry. I'm so excited to be speaking with you. Thank you for agreeing to do this. I'm so curious to to hear more about your story. I mean, I read the bio you were so gracious to share with me. I had so many people that I love and I'm close with say, oh my gosh, you know, interview Cosmic Cat. Tell listeners a little bit about yourself and, and I guess start with your story. Anything in particular you'd like me to... Where's Where were you... Where, where do you consider yourself to be sort of from, I guess? Like, is there a place that you were born and raised or that you spent some of your formative time when you were, like, young? Um, yeah, that is an interesting question. <laughs> uh, it's just like these days, I think everybody has a bit of a origin story that's yeah. not always born and raised in one spot, and yeah. that's definitely me. So I was born in London, Ontario, uh, which is about two hours from Toronto. Yeah. And, and then boom, I was adopted and we went to Muskoka and lived there for six years before wow. it was this vacation hotspot that it is now. It was yeah. kind of a very small town up North. Yeah. And then, uh, my dad, my parents worked for CUSA, which is Canadian university students overseas. Oh, cool. And um, he was teaching medicine abroad, basically. And mm-hmm. we went and lived in Tanzania for three years in Africa, East Africa. Wow. Yeah, which was really uh, just amazing experience. And we, we lived, you could see, at one point, one of our houses was you could see uh, the Kilimanjaro from the kitchen window. <laughs> And it was just magical. And yeah, in Tanzania, where we were, it was more of the plains. Okay. So we were, we went to the Serengeti and saw the migration of the wildebeest and the zebras and, um, in wow. Gorongoro crater and safari kind of vibes. Um, but we were living there. So it was just a whole nother world. Wow. And after that, we came back to Canada and I lived in, I'm going to mess up my timeline, but <laughs> basically I'm just going to start listing. We lived in the uh, in, in Quebec, in Pointe Claire, for a year, and then moved to uh, Halifax, the East Coast, for three years, and then went to Vanuatu, which is in the South Pacific, um, near, kind of near Fiji, between like Fiji and Australia, Wow! for three years. It's a very, very tiny island. And that was really cool as well. And just living with the Polynesian people and the Melanesian people in the South Pacific while my dad, again, was working and teaching there. 
That's like an incredible and... upbringing story. Oh my goodness. <laughs> it's like keeps getting more and more exotic. It's so amazing. It was pretty rugged, especially back then. It's still, it's still not, there's not a lot of infrastructure there. It was mm-hmm. a, it was a colony of both the French and the British mm-hmm. and got its independence in 1980. And wow. so it's relatively, yeah, it's a, it's a kind of one of those tropical, super tropical islands where you plant a stick in the ground and it grows into oh. a papaya tree. Wow. <laughs> very rainforesty. Um, beautiful. Lots of horses, beautiful people. It's very, very laid back vibes. It's a, it's a, just a great, I have nothing but great memories from there. Wow. And then we moved back to Canada and my dad took a job at McMaster. So I lived in Hamilton for the, the remainder of my high school years and went to, I went to McMaster university and wow. then, uh, yeah, then I, w- then I was like, Oh, I'm like ready to do something like fun. So I did theater tech at Sheridan and oh, I was cool. like sound and lighting and theater and design and, and stage management and costumes. And I was like, Oh, you know what? I really only like sound. <laughs> so, so, which was, it was cool to figure that out. And I went and worked in a recording studio and moved to Philadelphia for about nine years and was kind of working between Philly and New York as a DJ and living there. And Oh, it's like 9-11 happened and the vibe changed mm. and I was just like, I'm Canadian, I need to be with my people. And yeah. so I was like, huh, uh, Vancouver, Montreal. Um, I have a sister in Toronto and I was like, Toronto's just seemed to be the multicultural vibe. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, here I am. Boom, we landed here. So, I <laughs> so people say born and raised, I'm like, I always kind of consider Ontario my vibe because I've never lived in the East Coast. and I'm sorry, I've never lived in the West Coast. Gotcha. But um, I, I don't really claim a city, even though I did spend, uh, you know, like nine years in Hamilton. It was in the later high school years and university, so mm. I, I don't know. And that's why I like to sort of frame that question to say, like, where do you sort of mm. feel like your upbringing, you know, what sort of gave you you know sort of contributed to who you are and it sounds like a mishmash I mean it sounds like all these places around the globe as you're in your you know early part of your life and then um so so yeah so fast forward to the Philadelphia chapter so I had seen that in your interview I saw that mentioned in your bio and it's it sounds like that's sort of where you first kind of dipped your toes into like nightlife and music and stuff like that is that sort of where you would say you first got introduced to like electronic music culture and stuff like that uh, definitely. I mean, I was, I was clubbing a bit in, in Hamilton and in high school and in university, but yeah, Philly was where I really was exposed to, um, through a DJ friend, DJ Lucky Seven kind of introduced me to different clubs and vibes in New York and Philly. And I started working as a promoter with giant step records and promoting events and artists and record release parties and handing out flyers back when we used to hand out flyers. <laughs> oh, I, Hey, I am of that yeah. same generation. I was out there, mm. you know, outside after the club <laughs> two, mm-hmm. two in the morning and questionable outfits, handing out flyers, you know, Yeah, street team. <laughs> I was managing street teams in Philly for, for different, for different organizations and stuff and throwing my own parties. I just was like, wow, I can actually do this as, as a, as a real thing. It, yeah. it really, it really started to identify as not just a hobbyist DJ, but as a professional in the nightlife kind of world 
and I always wanted to be taking it to that professional level. Yeah. Like I did, of course, it's a passion of music, which I've always had since I was a little kid. But I always had that kind of business mind to it where I was mm. like, I want to be the promoter. I want to be booking the acts. I want to mm. be organizing the venue. I want to be pressing the vinyl. I want to be producing the music. Mm, like I always had cool. the business hat on, on the whole art form. Cool. So, and yeah. what was Philadelphia like at that point in time? If I'm following the chronology, it's like sort of was the 90s, like pre 9-11 that you were it, it was just before it was around exactly around 1990 when was 9 11 oh 2001, 2001 yeah 2001 sorry right so it was um yeah just around there from like 95 to 2005 okay and or 96 to 2006 okay I was there and so i mean it was fun yeah <laughs> it was nothing but a party for me <laughs> I mean, there was just, like, really innovative parties going on with live musicians and a lot of hip-hop, of course, in Philly and mm. funk and soul and disco. And, um, you know, Jill Scott was performing everywhere. Oh. And the Roots were performing everywhere. And, um, you know, all the giant stuff was raging in New York with all these, like, live shows with Fela Kuti and just you know, great DJ performances and stuff you could do. And, um Bangra Bashment, or what was it? The Bangra Bashment, the huge Desi party with all the East Indian culture. There was a lot going on, and it just seemed to never stop. The nightlife was insane. Yeah, like that was a really pretty incredible time in night. Like that's sort of when I was like first, Mm -hmm. you know, going out to clubs as well around that time. Mm -hmm. And I was, you know, I had a fake ID and then eventually turned 19 right which was like the legal mm-hmm. drinking age of canada so then i was legally going out to clubs but even before then i was going out to clubs and stuff and you know and i don't i always try to frame this less as in like oh my gosh it used to be so amazing and now it's so terrible but it just was very different and what was different obviously we were like pre-social media pre-smartphone where going out to those parties people were pretty like excited to be there and pretty engaged and present and so much of that dj culture was like blowing up in it was like leveling up in like the late nineties where just like certain DJs were really starting to, you know, yeah, just do things on a whole sort of new, new level. And everything was just kind of like growing and growing, kind of ramping up and stuff like that. So, and Philadelphia is not a city that I've ever been to personally, but I'm quite fascinated by it because it's sort of one of those proximity cities to a place like New York where it's got its own thing going on. And it's got its own vibrant culture, but maybe not everybody really knows about it because most people are, like, paying closer attention to, like, New York or L.A. or the bigger, like, mm. meccas. I, I'm not sure how it is now. Yeah. I haven't been there in the past five years, but mm. back then it really was just a city that people just painted with a big brush stroke and, it's, oh, it's Philly. Mm. And then there's New York mm-hmm. and blah, 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 New York. So it was, it was very gritty. I mean, I remember the first night... I moved there. I heard all these fireworks, and I was like, "Oh, I don't understand. What's the holiday?" And they're like, "Honey, those are gunshots." <laughs> You're like, "Well, right. I'm not in Hamilton anymore." I was like, "Oh my god, I'm not in Kansas anymore." Philly, <laughs> help you. Um, yeah, it was. Uh, it was. A lo- You're right. With um, the vibe in the clubs was, people were a lot more invested. You had to do mm-hmm. a lot more work to find cool places Mm -hmm. and 
or cool records as a DJ, I just physically go dig or yes. I call up the record store and say like, hold the shipment, I'm coming to look through them. Yeah. <laughs> and um, it yeah. just seemed like, uh, I think the world in general is a bit more present because we're, mm. people didn't really have their lives on their phones. But yeah. I agree, it's not, it's not so much a comparison as it is, it was an experience that I'm really grateful that I had. And I yeah. feel like it really shaped me as a person to be experiencing these vibes and the feeling of love and unity on the dance floor and, and just feel like this is the only place in the world I want to be. Yeah. I found my people. And I remember the first time I heard house music in a club because I was just kind of listening to everything. And mm -hmm. I loved music, but I mean, I literally loved like Bob Marley to like Jamiroquai to like Michelle and Degicello to mm -hmm. like a little bit of like house music here and there, but I didn't really understand house music. Mm -hmm. And then one, one night I was just like, oh my God, that moment where you just feel it. And I just looked around and everybody was just like, in ecstasy on the dance floor, yes. feeling so exactly the same as I was, just feeling everything, all the joy come out through the music. Yeah. And I was like, this is home. This is this is my music. Yeah. And it, it was just like, I, I heard house music that night, and I was like, I love house music. <laughs> I love house music. Talking about the this convert. is like, it's making me want to like, uh, I'm like shedding a little like more momentary tear because, you know, who mm. dance floors are, it's it really feels like a whole dream of another alternate reality, like in this sort of COVID moment. But I, mm. anyways, let's not digress to that quite yet. We'll maybe get to that, but I want to keep following along with your story. So you were, did you start DJing in Philadelphia then at that point? Well, I, I had been dabbling in Hamilton and, you know, doing like local stuff and, and different parties, mostly in the queer community and kind of, I think I played a few club nights but nothing really serious. I didn't really even have a DJ name. Mm. I was just like, I had the turntables in my apartment. So I was like a bedroom DJ. Cool. And then Philly was, yeah, I got, because of my friend who was quite established in Phil in Philadelphia, I did have the opportunity to, to open some sets and have doors open to me where people would be like, oh, I'll give you a try because you know, you know, Lucky Seven and all this mm. stuff. So, cool. so yeah, I started DJing in Philly and I just put my whole heart and soul into it mm. and it kind of expanded pretty rapidly for me so that was um it was just great and what I was, was like I, I took it very seriously yeah uh even though it was really just fun and it always has been and it still is I'm playing yeah. records literally and yeah. playing is playing right yeah um so I fully identified as a DJ working DJ and and I was working almost five nights a week at certain points wow. two nights in new york and like sometimes it would be three times playing on saturday and monday tuesday wednesday gigs it was i was the dj that never slept yeah you're, you're taking <laughs> me back now like you're, you're actually like flashing me back to like because i so i've might never dj'd myself although i think mm. deep down somewhere i like want to be able to like play a disco set every once in a blue moon anyways that's mm. a seven aside i was Doesn't always everyone right <laughs> absolutely absolutely <laughs> so but but i was always hanging out with djs and running with different djs mm. and like i remember yeah like somebody you know going out with somebody for the night and i have many friends who are phenomenally talented djs and they would have their like lounge set in the early evening then they would have their yeah. like midnight headlining gig they had to be be there for and then they would have to be booked for their after hours set 
from yeah, you know, three hours, to five. Yeah. And like, wow, think back to those days when there, you could be in one night alone having three gigs in one night. Yeah, taking That's taxis yeah. and and just like hustling to the after party to the after hours, and I don't do those like four a.m.s, but I, four a.m. sets anymore. Like, but I really was invested in yeah. the culture and and I was all about it. And I was very open format mm. in Philly. There were there definitely was a house music scene, um, but the world that I was most drawn to was just the gen- general party open format dj scene and that was where the most work was because i was really invested in and then as a as a career Mm. and if you wanted to work five nights a week you you pretty much had to play everything Mm. gotcha unless unless you had a big name or something you know yeah for sure and what were the clubs in new york you were playing at at that time Oh, they were not big club. They were all lounges in the Bowery. So there was Den of Thieves that had a residency there. It, it changed cool. into Idlewild. It was yeah. second in Houston. Mm. So it was just cute. They were all like mid-sized lounges. And mm. then I had a residency at the Diesel Store on 61st and Lexington. Cool. So they, um, they have like a three-floor mega store, flagship store, and they have DJs in there. Yes, that was um, the, the giants, total moment. The I remember Step that. Records actually the- hooked me up with that. So they had their Giant Step DJs come through and play. Yeah, like in the 2000s, I actually think back now, I'm like, oh, I knew I had a number of friends that had in-store residencies for a mm-hmm. while with different brands they were doing, even on the yeah. West Coast and stuff. That's Yeah. Huh. It was fun. It was a big deal because you'd see mostly tourists, but, um, you know, you get your pay, but you also got to rack up in the clothes. So I had totally. a massive diesel wardrobe. <laughs> I, don't even, I don't wear diesel anymore, but... <laughs> It was it was just a fun experience for me. It was just like bringing my records, you know, in flight cases on the bus, like every Friday, and then and then playing at the diesel store all day, and then going to the club at night and playing, you know, in the Lower East Side there, and, and playing till about three, four in the morning, and then mm. I would stay over at the the train didn't leave till five thirty from Penn Station, the first train to Philly, so. Wow. I would hang out. My friend would come visit, come with me, and uh, he worked in a little film office, and we would hang out in his office, like on the rooftop, and just hang out and wait till the till the first train started running back to Philly. <laughs> oh my gosh! Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so I knew so the magical. bus station and the train station. I got back on my hand. <laughs> 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 it's like a residency there. And um. Uh, oh my gosh, what was I going to ask you? I got totally sidetracked in just this imagining of New York and this, like the sunrises in New York coming up over the city and stuff. I mean, oh, on I, the I rooftop, miss it. It was pretty yeah. awesome. Oh. It was. It was good times. And like back then, like Times Square was like a dump. It was like yeah. porn shops. And yeah. It was just a very different place. Like the bus station was so sketchy. The Port Authority. <laughs> oh, <laughs> like, oh my God. It just smelled like piss. And like, it was just, oh. Yeah, grimy. But um, it was just such an adventure for me. I just loved every minute of it Mm. i was like i am living i remember sitting on the bus and you know there's always some mad drama on the bus and was freaking out and yelling at someone (laughs) (laughs) and i remember just you know coming across or coming to the holland tunnel and just being like i am living my dream i'm living my dream i have like a residency in new york city and i'm getting paid to do what i love i love my life i'm living my dream it's beautiful yeah it doesn't take much sometimes, eh? Like, yeah, <laughs> it wasn't big money or anything, but uh, it's just great how 
when you have a passion for something and it can be realized in so many different ways and make you feel completely fulfilled. For sure. And that's also so important. I mean, we, you know, I think right now we're in, in this moment of like having a lot to compare to through like social media and stuff. It's easy to not necessarily just kind of sit in, in gratitude. I mean, I try to do it myself. I'm like kind of spiritually in that way. I try to just like on a daily basis, just be like, wow, what am I thankful for? And it has not been necessarily easy the past year, right? Like obviously everybody's lives have been turned upside down, but, um, but that stuff is so, so important. And I really applaud that too. Just like taking those moments. Do you have a gratitude practice? I mean, I'm not really like formal with it. Like I'm, I sort of, I, I do really try, I try to like on a daily basis, just like, you know, jot something down to be like, wow, I, you know, like this is something I'm really excited about. I'm, you know, but it's not, yeah, it's not necessarily like a formal gratitude practice per se. That's awesome though. That you like jot things down. Like that's very concrete. Yeah. When you, s- when you see that's it, it really, um, you're kind of like, Ooh, right. Because, um, you know, and I, and I think, I I imagine that in a few years from now, lots of us will look back on this 2020 year that just passed very similarly to the way that 9-11 for a lot of people impacted like their livelihood, people that I know in New York, that's a real kind of benchmark moment for them because Mm -hmm. everything just changed so kind of quickly. Like rapidly. Yeah. And then same as 2008, the, you know, the financial crisis, like they're just these sort of benchmark years where lots of people have to adapt and it's a bit of a forced adaptation and it's you know it's not pretty necessarily like but um you know so yeah so for myself and for lots of people I know 2020 meant the loss of a lot of things and uh but we I don't know if we're really going to even be able to fully wrap our heads around it for a little while yet right because we're still kind of in the midst of just all this change that's been brought about by by the pandemic and stuff um i agree i think it's going to be like like grief it's going to unravel and we're gonna feel the repercussions of it um after right now i think everyone's just surviving yeah not not everyone i I can't speak for everyone i think a lot of artists especially in my field are just trying to you know stay afloat and Mm -hmm. live every day yeah um so but i do think we will kind of get back to quote unquote normal and then there'll be these aftershocks of like wow (laughs) that was hard yeah and and ultimately like i think nightlife will be really impacted and that's just an inevitability um you know, because it's going to take a while for it to, for, for people to be able to like gather right in like clubs or lounges or at parties, that's definitely still feels like quite a ways away. Um, even though some things are starting to normalize a little bit. Um, Mm -hmm. but I'm, I'm curious to hear before we bring right up to like the sort of modern moment. Um, I'm curious to hear about your sort of return to Toronto and you talked about sort of returning mid two thousands and just arriving and, um, what was that like at that point? And it sounds like you continue DJing if you want to speak to like that process. Um, sure. It was 2006, I think. Um, I came to Toronto and I was, I realized kind of like how we were just speaking about the pandemic being kind of like an aftershock of the feelings that of what had just happened. I came to Toronto and I had this realization once I was out of my life that I was out of my regular life in Philly, that I was actually super burnt out Mm. of just DJing and playing all these nights. And, and I kind of had 
I kind of lost the joy. And mm. I and I actually said, like, that's it. I, I quit DJing. Mm. And I just kind of put my records in storage and went and got a J-O-B and mm. just started to explore Toronto and meet some friends. And so I was just hanging out. And I, I also wanted to really get, uh, find the Paula behind the Cosmic Cat. Mm. Because I was 100% Cosmic Cat in in Philly, which wasn't a bad thing, but I had definitely lost any part of like me as a, as a Canadian or me as a, as a person, or even as a queer person, mm. it, it, all that was just kind of hidden be, be beneath this DJ persona. Mm. And so when I left all that, I really got more involved in the, in the gay scene and the queer scene and got in touch with who I was, who I am as a person, mm. as opposed to what I was doing as a DJ in my professional career. Mm. So it was kind of like a spiritual awakening. And I was like, okay, well, I'm done DJing, blah, blah, blah. I'm, I'm now uh, rediscovering a whole new person and I'm on to this next journey, next chapter of my life. Mm. And then I went to a house party and met a very char- charismatic bartender slash DJ named Sandy Dalmeda. And she said, I'm throwing a party Wednesdays at the Gladstone, you should come by came by actually I'd been going but she's like you should come by and drop some records I was kind of mm. like oh, I don't I don't really do that anymore but the pressure the stakes were so low and it was just mm. really fun and I noticed that nobody was like standing around the booth like watching how you mix and it was it wasn't one of those kind of elevated experiences where it was all about the DJ it was mm. just a gay party with lineups down the block and it mm. was just a, a party you know and I said this looks really fun I'm just gonna drop some records and that night, like, <laughs> it was so much fun for me. Mm. And it just rekindled all the joy. And I realized I'm either going to find this joy in what I'm doing or I'm going to say, like, it's over. Yeah. And I found I still had so much passion for it. And I had so much fun DJing that night. And that night, I was actually approached by a promoter named Denise Benson, who was like, I do a big queer party in Toronto, you should come be a guest. And then boom, it was just like, I just started DJing all over Toronto and ended up throwing my own party and parties. And just began a different journey, a very different kind of side to my DJing, where it was just more for me. Cool. Yeah, I know that sounds weird because in Philly, it was also for me. I was learning. I was more technically focused. But here I was doing majority of my stuff was in the queer scene. And I was just like, it was just bringing it all together in a way that was new and, and really fulfilling for me. How incredible. So. Wow. And um, and just to like really, like you said, start it at sort of a, in a pretty like low stakes kind of a way. But then also to just totally be... start at the bottom. Yeah, but to then just also be like finding a, finding joy in it as opposed to having a pressure that you're putting on yourself or having an expectation yeah. or um, that's amazing. And what was yeah. Toronto's like? What was Toronto's nightlife scene like at that time in your memory, like mid two thousands? Um, in my memory, it seemed like there was a lot of people talking about a heyday of the rave scene, which mm. I wasn't present for, but it was kind of like, oh, back in the day, we had killer raves here. And I remember people from Rochester and upstate New York would drive to Toronto for the rave scene in, in the mid-90s, but mm. I wasn't really there for any of that. And, you know, people would talk a lot about these great house clubs and these great parties. And I, I kind of felt like, oh, so 
that's all done now what you know yeah. what I mean? so it seemed like there was a uh, it seemed like there was a mishmash of almost like hipster parties where they were kind of like in these non-traditional spaces especially in the queer scene where it would be like parties that were off church street or not in traditional gay clubs or gay spaces hmm. and that seemed to be a trend of taking a queer party and, and putting it like on Geary Avenue, like in a warehouse or something, gotcha. doing something, doing something different. Um, I wasn't a big clubber and because I didn't grow up here, I don't have a huge history about Toronto nightlife, but I noticed that there was a large number of very eclectic and different parties. It seems like on a given night, you could find a hip hop party, a hip hop cypher, a house party, like a warehouse party, um, a bungra party, a drum and bass party, an underage party, an 80s party. It was just like, any, I guess, any big city. Yeah. But there was a lot of variety, and it got, um, you know, you quickly find your little circle and you do what you want to do. But yeah. I was always impressed looking at the Now Magazine events, like just the number of parties that were going on. And this wasn't even clubs. This was just promoters doing things. Yeah. So it was pretty impressive. It was like, the, to me, it was like the, the years of the promoter. Hmm. Whereas these people hustling on social media and with flyers and stuff to get people to come to their parties. And, and some of them were extremely, you know, successful. Yeah. And that was an interesting, it was an interesting time too. When I think back to the chronology of it, because, you know, like 2007 is one of those weird years too. Like Facebook sort of emerged in like 2007 Mm -hmm. and then it really by like 2009, 2010, it was like pretty, pretty much a mainstay in terms of like how people were sharing about their events and 100%. everything started to shift and it was away from posters and handing out flyers and stuff. And like, for the record, I was out there in Vancouver, like putting up posters on, mm-hmm. tele, you know, telephone yeah. poles and stuff in the, yeah, in the 2000s. Like people to do that. Yeah. yeah. I would sometimes do it myself with a staple gun, but anyways, um, but I've, then I have a couple staple guns from that era. <laughs> <laughs> but then like fast forward 2010, it was like, yeah, it was really all about social media and hustling your gigs on, on Facebook and on, and then eventually mm-hmm. Twitter and then slowly it was Inst- Instagram and like, um, yeah, that really changed it all. And, and so I moved to Toronto in 2015 and I spent mm-hmm. about two years in Toronto before moving to New York, but I was traveling a ton during that time. So like 2015 mm-hmm. to 2017, I was like based in Toronto, but just all over the place essentially. And it really was mm-hmm. a weird time in Toronto nightlife because there was w- one-off monthly parties happening Yes, and, I was definitely involved in those. Yeah, and there was like still the West End scene was still mm-hmm. pretty strong. So there was like the Beaver and one-off parties at the Gladstone, and mm-hmm. but it even at that Andy point, Cole Hall and the yeah, Round Kensington, the Round yeah. exactly, yeah, and the Mod Club and stuff. But it was mm-hmm. becoming harder and harder. And I, I just remember even because I've been around nightlife for long enough recognizing and just seeing little parties here and there kind of slowly mm-hmm. stop happening or. Things just mm-hmm. seeming to get a little bit trickier. Um, and just it seemed like nightlife in general was not... Like, it was just struggling a little bit, in in my opinion. Like, c- can you speak about, I guess, the last few years prior to COVID, what your involvement with, with in Toronto nightlife was like? Oh, it was pretty heavy. I mean, like, since, since COVID, I've completely kind of redirected my focus on music production Mm -hmm. but before then I was a hundred percent full-time DJ relying on that as my full-time career so as a promoter I noticed that 
you know, I, I depended half, like 50% on like, um, residencies with corporates and venues, like mm. uh, with the Drake hotel, I DJed at all their venues and in different ways, like maybe it was a, a film rap, you know, or a party or just like their dinner shift or whatever it would be. Yeah. And then I would also throw my own parties. And what I noticed was that I, I'm not blaming social media, but I think the culture as a whole had just become less concentrated. Mm. So there's like kind of club culture was becoming, I guess, more mainstream where mm. like every place was kind of like a clubby place or a place to hang out or a place where you could just randomly dance. And it seemed like it was less that you had to go line up at this one specific place. Mm. And so I felt that we had to compete so hard with a everyone being on social media talking about their event that happened to be on the same Friday night as yours. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and the fact that there was just so much out there in terms of like, there were these bars that now had bowling alleys and they had DJs and they had like mm -hmm. dinner and dancing and drinks and cocktails. And, and it was just, it wasn't like you had to go to either a pub or a nightclub. Yeah. Now it was like, everybody was everything and everybody was trying to be everything. So, and I kind of think everybody still is, right? Like, yeah. I was working so much as a DJ, again, like, four or five times a week because everybody wanted a DJ. And they these were not clubs. Mm. These, are, these are restaurants. These are bars. So yeah. I'm just saying that the way everything was going was that it was struggling for promoters to throw their one-offs because the first one would be super packed because it was new and exciting. Sure. But then there's like 18 others the next month yeah. and they're doing something else. And that crowd is looking for something else or they're going to, you know, they're going to like an, a bar that has like um, a million games in it or a, a DJ and a dance floor and a bowling alley. Do you know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, so it was just, there's so much competition from the corporate level down to individual promoters and it's all happening on social media. So it's kind yeah. of this like FOMO mixed with overload. Yeah. Where people are just like, I don't know. And then, you know, they're like, well, maybe we'll just watch Netflix or maybe we'll just walk around outside because it's summer and there's patios with all DJs on them too. And we don't really have to invest in paying a cover for a bar. Yeah. Club. So I, I noticed all those things. And I think every couple of years, people age out of clubbing. And then there's mm. a new generation mm. and they're gung ho. But but again, they are raised on social media bites where it's like, do you want to do this? Do you want to do this? Well, who's doing that? And well, where's the selfie coming from that? And should we go there? And, and so it's it becomes an attention kind of screaming in the wind type vibe. And option overload, right? Like there's like option a term overload. for I like really that, option yeah. paralysis where people are just kind of like they get sort of too overwhelmed even trying to try choose. So then they just choose nothing. <laughs> they choose nothing. Should be a shirt. Choose nothing. Oh and, then, my gosh. and then it's like and also the the playing field is leveled where everyone is now a DJ. You mm. don't have to like, you know, practice on turntables for years and then and then make deep connections and relationships with the record stores so that you can get the new vinyl before other people. Yeah. You, you just basically buy your little controller or have your laptop, download a couple discographies or not even just wire into Spotify and you're a DJ. So I, I'm very lucky that I have been in the game that and realized there's always room for a good DJ who knows how to read the crowd and curate a good set list for whatever that crowd needs. Yeah. Um, 
or what they can envision with their art. But I also think that it it's always this reinvention of yourself because the playing field is leveled in terms of the technology, mm-hmm. the clubs and bars and venues. When someone opens a restaurant now, they're not like, oh, I'm just going to set some tables. They're like, they're like, shit, we have to step it up. Yeah. There's 8 million restaurants. We, we got to get DJs. We got to do this. We got to do that. And so now they're all competing because their playing field's leveled. And then there's promoters that are like, they just come out of the woodwork because they just need a social media account couple advertising dollars and they can throw a venue i mean a party in a venue yeah so so everything has become a free game for everyone where it was a bit more exclusive and that's i think where we're seeing the nightlife as we know it this kind of the core of it being kind of kind of dispersed on top of there being zones in the city that are being consistently gentrified with condos and people moving into the cool spots and then saying, it's too noisy. <laughs> There's people hanging out in a lineup and I can't take it, you know, all that shit. So yeah. that's real though, right? That shuts down clubs. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And then, so you have this one awesome club, it's one awesome sound system. And then <clears throat> a condo gets built next to it club owner is in is in court for like months battling noise complaints and then they end up having to pay tons of fines or even closing and those people really they can't just pick up and move to the restaurant next door this the restaurant might have a dj but it's not the same yeah and that happened in new york i mean because i've had a lot of friends involved in new york nightlife for the last 20 years uh i mean Mm. that that is that's honestly new york is like a picture perfect example you could almost chart that process happening right over the last 20 years where people have been moving more and more and more into the city and new york Mm -hmm. i mean the gentrification has just been on like hyperdrive right um Mm -hmm. since since 9 11 essentially and then people are buying these lofts and these these spaces in the city and then they don't want a nightclub on their <laughs> ground floor level Go anymore figure. even though it's like this was new york city which was a city that had this energy and this vibrancy and it was basically built on that energy and then now people want it to be just like you know a connecticut or a new jersey or a, like they want to have this very sort of suburban experience but like in they new york do city of all this places suburban experience right in the heart of the downtown yeah club district i remember in new york giuliani was the mayor and he was systematically shutting down mid-sized clubs and making them have a cabaret license and cops would come into the bar where i was djing and it'd be like 3 a.m or maybe 2 30 a.m and party would be in full swing and the cops would roll in or the lni people license and inspection and they would just be like you can't be dancing in here. You don't have a cabaret license and everyone would have to sit down. I mean, that no dancing yeah, stuff was weird. ridiculous. <laughs> that was, a, that was in some insanity when they were really yeah. going for that. But cracking that was, down. yeah, they were cracking down, but that was sort of the beginning. That was just the mm-hmm. beginning of it getting harder and harder and harder. And so in the last, you know, in the three years that I lived in New York, there was still some clubs in Manhattan, but it was just moving more and more to anything that was, happening on a larger scale was happening like way out in deep Brooklyn, basically bordering yeah. on Queens, right? Like elsewhere and the house of yes. And any of those sides of places yeah. were like, they were For so sure. yeah, Dumbo, like they were so far, uh, far, getting farther and farther outside the city. And, uh, and you know, I just, uh, right now I don't necessarily have like a, you know, update on 
what's happening with any of those places. But like House um, of Yes? Well, I mean, I know House of Yes is kind of like limping along a little bit, like, or that they've had, they were able to do stuff with their patio at certain points during the pandemic. But it's like, I just don't know what's going to happen with those venues. And I really truly do hope and pray that there's some left. Um, when this is starting to like, yeah, you know, come to, I I don't know. I I don't know if it's going to necessarily come to like an end and it's just going to all of a sudden it'll be like over one day, but as things start to kind of, slowly come back a little bit um i don't necessarily have a vision personally yet for how nightlife will potentially return but uh but i'm curious what what your vision of it i guess would be or what would you imagine um how do you think nightlife might return post covid well i was very heartbroken to hear like the mod club is permanently closed the round is permanently closed these are places where i had residencies these are places where I made my living. I connected with my community. These are places where I just considered it part of my of my life. Mm-hmm. I knew the owners. I had relationships with the owners, and it was just it was just the world that I lived in. Mm-hmm. And to see them permanently closed and understand, of course, they can't pay five six k rent when there's nobody there mm-hmm. and they don't have a patio. Um, what I of course, we don't know. Time will tell. I guess I'm kind of envisioning envisioning kind of like a tsunami effect where there's just a, a wiping and washing away of a lot of venues and a lot of hmm. smaller, cooler places. And it will reemerge. I don't want to sound dismal, but I think, of course, we're going to have a nightlife. That's yeah. just the way of human nature. We're going totally. to connect. We're going to congregate. Yeah. But it might appear... It might be a bit more corporate, whereas only big money will be able to afford to start things up. Yeah. You know, it seems when there's a, a dip in an economy, like certain people do well, yeah. and certain people fail. And it's usually the rich people do well because <laughs> they're buying up things for cheap and rent might go down and they might be able to have that money and say, now's my time, you know? Yeah. So I hope that there's there's some people that have been maybe having the dream of having a club or a venue and say, now is my time because there's empty spaces and landlords are looking to start this up again. Mm-hmm. Um, it's hard to say. I mean, I'm, I'm, again, I've shifted a lot of my focus to music production and been releasing stuff on my own label and with other labels and just working on my production, but I'm also staying with, staying fresh and current with two live streams a week to make sure wow. that any opportunities that do come my way that I am ready you know Amazing. if you stay ready you don't have to get ready ah uh, well said you know feel me because like <laughs> eight months ago I was just like there's no work like my stuff's collecting dust my my yeah. equipment my you know my my sharps for reading the room and my my just everything about DJing was just like well it is a skill mm-hmm. you have to work at it you know there's that vibe when you play once a week versus when you play three, four times a week. Hmm. And my identity is that DJ that works a lot and mm-hmm. just doesn't wake up and dial it in. Mm-hmm. So I'm staying relevant or <clears throat> relevant at least to my craft mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and staying sharp and current. This is the time to prepare and get ready and learning all about live streaming and elevating my set. And that's been really fun over the past eight months. It's been actually cool. 
to do this whole technology and I got my green screens and I'm doing my thing. But I guess I'm just waiting and seeing like everybody else because I never had the passion to open my own venue. Mm. You know, I've been approached by investors and, and I've just been like, no, I'd rather pick up my records, my CDs, my laptop, my USB keys, and just go somewhere else at the end of the night. Yeah, (laughs) for sure. It's a very different, it's a very different experience to be like the one who has to like, you know, mop the floors because the person is whatever has called in sick or something like it's just yeah it's a whole different set of responsibilities but it's a different calling it's a different calling and and I just I just hope that there will be space in this new world that comes up as we rebuild our own economy yeah that there'll be space for you know younger or different or newer um, promoters and entrepreneurs to to revive nightlife in in a new way for the next people that are ready for for the, the nightlife that they deserve right because yeah. they, everybody deserves that experience that you and I had going out and totally. finding your community on the dance floor and connecting with music and connecting with other people and sharing that joy from the, the speakers or the stage to the dance floor and it's not about the separation between the DJ and the dancers. It's just like we're all there having a great time. And it, it's all about the music. It's a shared experience. So, and I mean, I have a lot is, of friends that is. are, you know, I have friends that are still buying tickets to, you know, like, for example, Defected Croatia, which, you know, like there, there's yeah. certain festivals they keep trying to say like, okay, this could happen this year or and if you buy tickets and then it doesn't happen then maybe it'll like so there's still an optimism so i mean i certainly know some people who are younger that are still excited and still kind of dreaming about doing that so i don't think people and yeah. I, I really agree with your it's optimism human nature totally yeah and i think that i i really applaud and i really agree with like your optimism about people are going to want to congregate and they're going to want to congregate where there is good music and there's good energy and it just might not be as often as like in our day when you could go out four or five nights a week uh, and hear amazing music and <laughs> you yeah, see the I cool mean, people. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. That's the thing is the universe doesn't tell us the hows, you yeah. know? But the thing is what has always been consistent throughout history is that humans need to gather mm-hmm. and we need to celebrate. And yeah. that's every culture, every single demographic, every age group. It's like it's going to happen. It just might look very different from pre-COVID. Mm-hmm. And I feel that. I mean, I'm weirded out going into the convenience store right now. Like, yeah. it's just too much when there's, like, three people in there. I'm just like, it's just too much right now. Yeah. I get it. But, um, you know, in Canada, is not – Toronto is not, like um, – like uh california where it's like sunny and 77 degrees all day you know it's it's like it's winter here so we gotta hibernate and we can't just party outside and that's that don't worry about covid yeah so there's some logistics that we actually have to think about but like you were saying the uk is set to open their clubs june 21st and there are ticketed events all over my instagram feed for my uk people yeah and I, I know that they're excited as hell. And yeah. it gives me hope seeing these events that are going off and seeing that, you know, we can party at the tail end of this, you know, hopefully the tail end of this pandemic until everybody gets vaccinated and we can just hang out together yeah. in a safe way. Yeah, for sure. But I also, I'm so impressed that you've been doing live streams and that, what a, what a like brilliant sort of just way to think about it, which is honestly just to keep, 
sort of working within your craft and keep sort of learning new skill sets related 100%. to it so that you're not just like kind of shelving it and then being like, okay, well, I'll pick yeah. back up when, once this is done, then I'm going to like, okay, I'll start up again. It's like, no, we really That's have like, to try to work. Yeah, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, we just have to try to work within these lateral skill sets, I think. I mean, I've certainly tried to do it myself a little bit with just different things. And I've known a few people that have started up, you know, sort of just trying new skills, but um, so that they're not kind of stagnating a little bit. So that's incredible. hundred percent. Thank you. And the thing is, there was a lot of resistance for me in like March, April, May that for live streaming, I was like, what, the, what is this? This is not why I got into DJing. I need people mm. with pulses in front of me. I need to feel the frequency of the room. I need to like connect with humanity. This is bullshit. And it's like all these like 14 year old live streaming. And I was like, I can't, like, this is a joke. This is... And then I was like, hold up. Like I'm coming at this, this not technology, but I'm coming at this platform concept with so much judgment. Like, what can it teach me? What what can I learn from it? And it's like, I can learn that this is a way for me to blow off some steam, to play the music as I've always wanted to play it. I didn't mind when I was in my bedroom. Why do I mind that I'm in my living room? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? As a, as a beginner DJ, I didn't mind that I had no crowd and I was in my bedroom. And it was a passion for DJing and putting the records together and putting mm. on a show for an invisible audience. That's always been fun. Yeah. So... You know, there was a learning curve, and, and actually Pride Toronto, um, Phil V from Toronto Pride, reached out and said, you want to be part of our virtual Pride for uh, 2020, and, you know, you have this one-hour set, and blah, 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 and I did it in my backyard, so it wasn't all super techie, but it was GoPro in the backyard. Amazing. Sunny. Brilliant. But it, it put that fire. It was like, there is some hope here. Like, I'm preparing mm. a set. I'm DJing. I'm recording it. And somebody wants it. And somebody's paying for it. And, and people are going to watch it. And I can get share that joy. And and I was like, all right, this is it. Like, I'm going to do this regularly and consistently. And iron out all the kinks with the software and blah, blah, blah. And it's been really worth it. Because even if there's 10 people watching, I feel that I've just, I feel fulfilled. Well, trust me, you're bringing, something. you're bringing joy to those 10 people that are tuning in. And mm -hmm. for, it was, you know, for me even, like I've watched some world-class DJs from behind their DJ booth. So I'm with you mm -hmm. that I was like, why on earth would I sit here and like watch them on a computer screen? It's not the same thing yeah. as like being yeah. in a space and having that energy. But recently I'm like, I'm tuning into live streams because it's even just to watch a DJ mm -hmm do their thing and have some music yeah. on while I'm doing something else is like sort of comforting and it's really enjoyable. So, you know, it might That's not be the same word. numbers, but people Com really are. Yeah. yeah. People like, I guarantee people are getting joy from it. The people that are tuning in and that, you know, you're just maintaining a connection with those people. So. Uh, I agree. And I think the people that are showing up, say at the front row of your virtual concert, yes. they're there. They have joy in their hearts and they're looking to totally. see that joy reflected on a stage in a way that they wouldn't necessarily do it themselves. They totally. want to see you expressing your joy fearlessly. Yeah. And so this is how we're doing it right now. People it's yeah. on uh, a laptop via, you know, I I'm on Mixcloud and on Twitch because those are, one platform is very popular, Twitch. Yeah. But it's also uh, owned by Amazon, and I'm mm. not down with that. And mm -hmm. they just bleep out the music of the archives and instead of 
doing what Mixcloud does, which is they pay the artist. Mm. They have an agreement with Warner Music, and they actually scan your beats and you submit your playlist, and those artists get paid when they're played cool. instead of bleeping them out. And it's kind of messed up because Twitch actually, Amazon Music, has millions of artists, and they don't even have to do anything besides decide to pay them. Hmm. royalties when they're streamed but instead of doing that they just bleep them out and say like that's your problem so i mean i'm kind of politically as you can see against twitch but i also realize the entire world the majority of them is gaming and streaming and watching on twitch yeah so i do my uh, my own produced music only on twitch smart so it doesn't get bleeped out and i also get to practice my own set of my own created music. And then on Mixcloud, I'm playing the, the more like party universal stuff. Cool. Yeah. I mean, I know that there's all of that whole side of it is really, really tricky for DJs. I mean, I've only sort of peripherally been involved with trying to sort of, you know, su support, not even from like an organizer standpoint, but even just kind of help make <laughs> yeah. things Don't get me happen. Started, Jordan. And I know. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like the whole Facebook and then Facebook muting and then this yeah. platform versus that one and Instagram lives and the, like, ooh, the, and so it's complicated. So I really do give you credit. And also it's amazing that you've put thought into like, okay, well, this is how I'm going to play this set on this platform platform to like mm -hmm. still keep active with that audience and stuff like that's yeah incredible. because i am a producer i'm a canadian electronic music producer and it is extremely important for me to respect that uh, as, a, as a role model and also as that's my identity so i am you know miss rights and royalties yeah <laughs> you know what i'm saying like i think like musicians who create art and music should be credited and mm -hmm. should be paid and I think that the Canadian music industry is only going to become more, is going, only going to become stronger and more able to sustain all of the creative spirit in it if we take it seriously. Yeah. And be like, yeah, these, th this is a serious art form. It's not just something that you just like rip off the internet and then play and then that's it. And yeah. you pay $4 a month to, um, or 10 bucks a month to Spotify. And then that's that like, mm. yeah. you know, behind the scenes, it's, it's a life and a business for people. Totally. And that's just I ultimately I take, not, I take it very seriously for yeah. sure. And that's not sustainable for people that want to continue to create over a long period of time. Right. Like getting paid exactly. fractions of cents. It's about for respect too. And, it's about respecting the craft. Whereas mm -hmm. people are thinking a lot of times I've had to struggle with that identity myself where, you know, oh, it's great. DJing's a great hobby, but you can't really make a living off of it. And, you know, oh, music producing is great. Everyone's a producer, but like, really, are, are you just like putting stuff on SoundCloud? You know, like mm -hmm. there's a lot of people that are like grow up and get a real job. This is, these are things I've heard, right? Totally. After 25 years, making it my pretty much sole income. Hmm. And having a, a business, you know, a Canadian business, a small business and having a label and being a, a successful artist. Like I, I don't use the word starving artist. I don't even use that word. Brilliant. Fantastic. Yeah. And we'll anyway, make sure to, bit, but that, I'm passionate about that. Topic. No, I, absolutely. <laughs> and it's, it's totally important. And we'll definitely, we'll link to some of your mixes and to the channels that you want to include as well for people listening so that they can cool. find you tune in and listen i mean music is definitely uh it's been therapeutic for me for sure during this mm -hmm. pandemic even though it's not necessarily being experienced in the same way and i uh i worked at a music venue in new york as well i don't know if you remember a club Where called at? um do you remember a club called life 
in the 2000s. Yes, so it's I now do. um it's now Le Poisson Rouge, which is oh. kind of one of the most amazing in my opinion. Like I'll probably not include this portion because for the record, <laughs> Cosmic, I was doing that totally like under the table, not, you know, part of my work visa. I had a work visa when I was in the US, but I was like working at Le Poisson Rouge. I was like doing the door, doing guest list, like doing box office sometimes, doing all, you know, artist yeah, no relations. Judgment. And oh my gosh, it was so amazing though, because I was in New York as a makeup artist. So that was what my visa was for. But then I worked at Le Poisson Rouge periodically, weekends here and there. And it was kind of one of the coolest little like holdout type venues where they would have like a DJ set from Cerrone one night and then like a string quartet the next night. And then they would have mm-hmm. some like off, off Broadway play running for like six weeks and then extended to 12 weeks. And then they'd have like, I mean, it was so, the programming was so diverse and so incredible. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, I missed that so much. And I used to be able to like drop in on any given night, even if I wasn't working to just like sit in on whoever was performing or whatever night it was. And like on the weekends, it was super touristy. They would have like a cover band do all 80s covers. But like this band was phenomenally talented, like ridiculously Mm -hmm. talented, like so good. The musicians were incredible. So even though the music was like your standard wedding stuff and it was like an NYU college kid crowd, just to be able to experience music. I mean, I miss it. Yeah. Majorly, I think that's but... a very New York thing because I remember um, certain venues that I was hanging out at would have completely different programming. For sure. Know, from night to night. And I yeah. think it's very strategic and it makes a lot of sense. And I, and I wish more people would do that here. Yeah. So I, but I think music is really therapeutic. And so I, uh, yeah, I think it's just incredible, and I'm I'm super excited to hear about your story and learn about your story. And I think you're really an important part of the Toronto nightlife scene. And because <laughs> thank you, because I didn't, I don't, I don't know. There, well, there is none right now. But I, I mean, I feel True. you. I feel definitely like uh, I'm, I'm doing stuff consistently, and sometimes I look up and I'm like, oh. Like people know me for doing this stuff consistently, and and so I I I, I take it seriously. Like I know I want to be a role model and a visibility ambassador for people when they mm. see me up on the stage. I'm like a black, butchy, queer lesbian, and I want them to see like that's me, man. Amazing. Like here I am. I made it. I'm doing it. You can do it too. Yeah. I never had that growing up. So I'm like, I, I only saw like a certain kind of person DJing. Even now on socials, it's it's the the representation factor is very low for sure. for women and women of color and queer women. So I'm like, dude, I'm bringing it. Yeah. <laughs> and have been bringing it for many, many, many moons here, children. Like, you know, over that's 10 right, plus years up. in Toronto. Like that. I don't know. I'm addicted to it. It's like, this is my life. And I'm like, oh, you know, well, now I can't work. And, and you know, you have your identity crisis when you're yeah. like, you're not working. And are you a DJ if you're not DJing? Are you a producer if like, you know, this and that? Yeah. And I'm like, you know what? You are who you believe you are. Yeah. You are what what comes out of your soul. Yeah. And I was like, I am I am an entertainer. I am a performer. I bring joy to people. And it happens to be through music. Maybe in another, you know, dimension it'll be through other kind of art forms. Mm-hmm. But it's music right now. And so yeah, I, I think the nightlife has always been a conduit and I have, you know, full confidence that there will be a different manifestation of nightlife and it will appear in different ways and 
if it feels authentic to me, I will be a part of it. Do you have anything in the works right now that you're excited about? Yes, I'm ridiculously excited about this EP coming out April 30th on this UK label called He, She, They. We're currently negotiating a release April 30th of the Make Love EP, and it's three songs. I couldn't be more proud, and I can't wait till it goes global. And the date's April 30th. Amazing. There's going to be some exciting things around it, but yeah, stay in touch, like visit my website or whatever and my links, and I'm really excited to to showcase that. It's a queer label and a queer lifestyle branding label, and it's really exciting project for me. Cool. Oh my gosh, that's incredible. Mm-hmm. I'm so down, and um, they work with a lot of really interesting and notable artists, and I'm super excited to be involved with this camp yeah it's congratulations good. it has been such a pleasure and like heartfelt thank you from both myself and you know everybody at never apart and uh i'm so grateful for you for taking the time to talk to me today and i'm so excited for people to find you and just like stay tuned with what you have in store it's been great it's my absolute pleasure thanks so much for listening to my interview with cosmic cat I hope you enjoyed hearing about all the ways that she's continued to stay connected to music despite what a turbulent past 12 months it's been for everyone in the electronic music industry. A quick update as of this recording, our center in Montreal's Mile X neighborhood has reopened for Saturday Open House. Check out any of our social channels for more information at Never Apart MTL or our website, neverapart.com, for information on current exhibitions and our COVID safety protocols. Be sure to leave a comment or a review on whichever platform you're listening through, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify. And you can find me on Instagram at Jordan King Archive. Mm-hmm.